Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. It wasn't working. Is it working now? I think so, yeah. Okay. Hello, Leonora. Hi, Julie. Hi, thanks for coming on. You're very welcome. It's great to be here. Yes. So today we have Leonora Rhodes on Bold Becoming. And she, I asked her to come on because I found out that she had an identity loss when she um, gave up her medical practice to take care of her two sick children. And so that is the story that I'd like to hear about today. But also she has a second one is that she immigrated from England to the United States. And that's a whole nother kind of identity loss. Um, but what she told me right before we got on is that it wasn't as hard because she had the tools to know what to do. And that's what, of course, this whole podcast is about. I don't necessarily call them tools, but we hear people's stories and we hear like how they like work through stuff. So let's just jump into your story, Leonora. Yeah, absolutely. So I was lucky enough to um, get into medical school when I was 18 years old. I had always wanted to be a doctor since I was about 12. And um, throughout my teenage years, that was kind of, you know, people used to ask me, what are you going to do? And I'd be like, well, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I um, five years of medical school in the UK and um, and it was tough at the beginning and then I kind of got into it and then I became a junior doctor in the UK you do three years in the hospital and um, then I my plan was to become a, um, a primary care doctor working with adults and kids in the UK it's called general practice so that was kind of you know my life was mapped out and wait a minute um, and so yeah. so you can you can work work with adults and children because over here yeah. we like how pediatrics is all separate from adults that's right yep um we had to do we had to train in pediatrics in the hospital and then we were allowed to practice with children um in you know in our practice and um it was funny because i'd you know always wanted to be a general practitioner and then when i actually started the job I hated it oh, <laughs> within no. about two months you know it was I had the honeymoon period where it was I enjoyed it and I was like this is it I'm here and then I started to really hate it and um I I would wake up on a Sunday morning and feel sick at the thought of having to go to work on Monday morning and um it was just it was just such a busy job you know it was I would see sometimes 60 patients a day and would work Saturdays and it was it was just there was no quality of care for me and and I kind of prided myself on quality of care so um so then I became a public health doctor and kind of um fell into public health which is a research role and uh, so it was about improving the health needs of a population and I loved it and I got to do interesting research studies I did 
one on the health needs of prostitutes in a rural population. I looked at emergency admissions to a hospital and looked at why they precipitously gone up in the two years prior. Some really interesting stuff. And during that time, I got married, had my first son. Yes. You're on mute, Julie. <laughs> Can we pause for one minute, please? Of course. Yeah. Okay, so sorry about that dog barking pause. <laughs> so what were you saying, Le Leonora? So here's me um, in my mid-20s um, in my dream job, and I suddenly realized that I hated it. <laughs> and uh, and um, the hours were just, you know, extremely long. It was grueling, and I, you know, I wasn't enjoying life. I used to wake up on a Sunday morning dreading going to work on Monday, and I had very poor quality of life. And so, but, but wait, so how did yeah. how did you not know this? Because aren't you in the hospital all the time? Yeah, getting. So yeah, no, you're, right. you're right. The hospital. So the hospital was was very hard work and worked very long hours. I mean, it was um, frequently 100 hours a week. But there was this kind of, you know, end in sight, which was going out to work in general practice. And I had just no experience of working in general practice. I had no idea what was actually going to be required. And what it ended up with was you would see sometimes 60 patients in a day and you were always running late because inevitably somebody would come in who, you know, was actually sick and re would require a lot of time to, um, you know, to help them. And sometimes I'd have people waiting for like three hours to see me. And by the time they came in, they'd be really angry. And it was just, it was just awful. And um, some people kind of thrived on the adrenaline of all of that. But for me, I prefer quality of care to, you know, helping 60 people a day. <laughs> so it was very disappointing, but I very quickly pivoted. I started researching and decided to go into public health medicine, which in the UK is kind of a, um, a, a, a research role. And I did some really interesting projects, one on um, the uh, health of sex workers living in the community in a rural area, another one on emergency admissions. And I loved it and got married during that time, got pregnant with my first son. I had always had this vision in mind that I'd have my first child before I was 30. Hmm. And sure enough, 29 and a half. <laughs> my son. And um, it was all going well until I went back to work after in the UK, you get five years, five years, I wish five months paid maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And within a week of me going back to work, my son was sick, getting recurrent chest infections. He was in a, mm -hmm. in a kind of what they call nursery school in the UK. And he just got sicker and sicker, ended up with chickenpox pneumonia and encephalitis. They don't immunize for chickenpox even now in the UK. And the doctor, when he had the chickenpox pneumonia and encephalitis and he nearly died, the doctor said to me, if you go back to work, he's gonna get sick again. And I would recommend you take a break. And it was 
extremely hard for me. I'd wanted to be a doctor since I was 12. And, you know, here am I in my mid twenties having to give up my career. And it was devastating. And I, from the perspective of looking after my son, I had no regrets at all. It was completely and utterly the right thing to do. He needed to be at home with me and to not be exposed to all of the, you know, all of the viruses and bacteria from being in, uh, in nursery school. But it was, the loss of identity was profound. And I'll tell you a quick story. We went to, went to a wedding um, with some friends from university. And this guy came up to me and, um, and said, uh, you know, what are you doing now? And his girlfriend was a doctor. And I said, I'm a stay-at-home mother because both my kids have been sick. And he literally turned his back and walked away from me. <laughs> and I remember standing there. Status role. Status oh. role. Discrimination to the hilt yeah and he was probably he was probably drunk and maybe had taken some other things as well but it was one of those you know talk about a heart sink moment I felt devastated in that moment and it was just kind of you know I already felt bad and then that moment was just you know I just it hurt so much to hear that because it was I guess it was what I was already feeling so I, you know, my, my second son then came along and he was sick. Wait, wait, my, yeah. wait, before I want to go into this identity loss thing a little more. Yes. So, so you're, you know, you, you're a, a doctor's, you're, you're a doctor, a doctor's telling you that your, your young little tiny baby is very at risk yeah. and therefore needs you to not to stay home with them. And so, you know, all logically, it all makes sense, but, and, and you did it, you didn't like, doesn't sound like you did it kicking and screaming, but nevertheless, what really, how did the gears shift and how long did it take for the gears to shift or did they ever finish shifting and and come into like a smooth you know second or third gear as far as okay so so i'm i'm not i mean you're still a doctor right you probably still yes. have your license and everything yeah but you're not practicing so it's just all these weird layers that yeah because who was i i was just interviewing somebody else or talking to somebody else and she was saying that she is a, a nurse practitioner, but she's disabled mm -hmm. and she's not working as a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And like I was, I, I, I still have my social work license, but I haven't worked as one. So it's like, when, when, when do we like stop saying that we are something yeah. based and, on whether we get a paycheck for it or not? And it's funny because I, I now, for a long time, I told people I used to be a doctor. Um, this is a part of the story that I haven't come to yet. Um, but um, I went back to medicine, then had to give it up again um, when I moved to the States. And I used to say to people, I used to be a doctor. And people always used to correct me and say, 
maturely once a, doc a doctor, always a doctor. And it's funny, I now sometimes say I'm a retired doctor because I'm getting to the age where I could be retired now. <laughs> so it kind of feels, you know, it feels that that story fits a little bit better. But I think at that time, that first time when I had to give up medicine, um, what I realized looking back on it was my sense of identity was so strongly tied to accomplishment and role, you know, accomplishment of having got into medical school, having become a doctor, having got the jobs that I'd gone for, all of that type of thing. And, and, and actually the attachment to accomplishment went back to my childhood. And so I realized what I, what I quickly did was I found new ways to feel accomplishment. That was when I started to, because I went into a very, very deep depression mm. um, for a period of time and how I got out of it was finding new ways to find accomplishment because being a parent um, didn't really do it for me. And, and, you know, people often say it's the most important job in the world. But we're but, not treated, society doesn't treat it as such. No, absolutely. And I had two kids who were sick as well. So, you know, there was that as well. It's like I, I felt like I was not being successful at a parent, even though it was it was things beyond my control, but it still felt that way. Hmm. And so, you know, I trained as a I trained as a counselor and then a coach. And um, then I trained as a neurofeedback therapist and then I became a coach for Tony Robbins. So I was always obsessed with replacing the accomplishment that was kind of what helped me bounce back and when I even now I you know if I am feeling not accomplished I very quickly start to kind of spiral down and I've done a lot of work on it at this stage but it's it's still there you know it's it's tied to my identity from being a very young age I think and I, I haven't like researched this but just my my um, what do you call it? Just my, uh, just my, the way I think is that women of our generation that had the chance to, to grow up and choose to become whatever kind of professional we wanted to come, become pretty much. Yeah. And we're kind of the first generation that did that because my mom's generation, she could either be a nurse or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom. And that was sort of it. I, I guess if she wasn't a white person, then she might have had other jobs like being a cleaning person or, you know, that kind of service job. But as far as a professional job. Yeah. And so then now here we are with this generation of women that we got the choice. Yeah. And then we still wanted to be mothers and motherhood takes a lot. And and then we we find out that that you know, that yes we're valued in society when we can be working members but then once we like drop out either for disability or because you want to be a mom or because you your kid needs you to be at home like my mom had to stay home cuz my oldest brother was dying all the time mm. and um like there was four funerals planned for him before he was 10 years old oh he was literally definitely yeah. dying 
and he's still alive but um so so yes this whole thing about like that accomplishment is based on these other measurements and that being a mother is just not it's just like doesn't even count yeah and Absolutely. so it's okay so i guess why i was going into all that mm. but then there's a, there's other cultures and you know throughout history motherhood has been like this this thing that mothers feel really good about being mothers because it is such a central um, it is the central role to yes. keep humanity going it is <laughs> yeah and and they know it but but us us women who have this other option we can't seem to like see motherhood in that way yeah and i and i do i have friends who have devoted their whole life to motherhood and have done an amazing job of it and and i admire them i think it's i think it's amazing i think unfortunately i was wired at a very young age to be academic to be you know to be obsessed and it and it's it it's a it's a form of self sabotage Hi, you know hyper achievement is a form of self sabotage and um I, I recognize that now and I, you know, I'm trying to kind of, I try and calm myself down and say it's okay, um, but it's a strong driver. And I think, you know, for people who are like that, I, and I, most of the people I work with are high achievers and, um, and, and it's a common problem. You, there's definitely this kind of side of it that makes them prone to burnout and to loss and to a big loss of sense of identity if they ever have to change so that's where the sabotage is is in the burnout and if they have to if they lose it yeah and they're at higher risk of yeah i i i personally think that high people who are hyper achievers often don't notice when they are getting stressed when they're taking too much on and when they're heading towards burnout and, um, you know, I'll tell you another story. I, I later went on to work uh, as a coach for Tony Robbins and 2020, I got COVID. And it was funny, I was on a training, I was training a company um, and I was about eight days into having COVID. And I have this recorded, so it was quite interesting to go back and watch it. At the beginning of the call, I was speaking normally by the end of the call, I was very breathless. It was a two hour training call. And you would have thought that was enough to make me say, maybe I need to go and see a doctor or maybe I need to take some time off. But no, I worked for another two days and I literally worked until I could not speak. And at the point where I couldn't finish a word, I said, I need to call my boss and tell her that I need to take some time off. But I was back to work a week later, even though I actually couldn't see properly and I had severe brain fog and I couldn't, I was really, that was really scary. I couldn't hold a thought. I'd get to the middle of a sentence and I'd be like, I have no idea where that was going. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I was extremely breathless as well. And, but I went back to work because that's what high achievers do. And it's extremely harmful. I should have taken weeks, if not months off, but there was that drive to get back to it as quickly as possible. And 
I'm working on it. <laughs> well, me too. I I have my own story about all that. Yeah. And it's um yeah, it's it's it and in and, and in my book um on the chapter on productivity, it specifically says you need to like when you're in identity forced identity transition when the rugs have been pulled out from under you and you're like figuring out what you're who you're becoming and what you're going to do next that you need to measure productivity on different completely different things yes but it took me years to accept that yeah absolutely but it, it, it it's a funny thing because I went when my kids were were still needing me to be at home um by this time in elementary school I actually got a job in the elementary school as a special needs children's aide mm. and my my job was kind of you know I I would be doing math questions with the kids who struggle with math or reading with the kids but a lot of the time I was doing things like putting pictures up or sorting out art supplies and I have to tell you I loved it it was so simple compared to you know my previous jobs and I felt a huge sense of accomplishment from making a pretty wall display <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was it was really eye-opening for me and and taught me a lot of lessons that like you said if you adjust how you measure success and performance then you can find happiness in whatever you're doing mm -hmm. yeah yeah well, so let's see, let's, where, where are we with time? So, so you had your, your first child yeah. and you stopped working and then what happened? So then, oh, wait a minute, uh, you stopped working outside the home because you were certainly, most certainly working as a mom I inside was. the home. <laughs> and interestingly, I, I became, I took on another child to look after during that <laughs> time because you know, it wasn't enough to look after one child. <laughs> it was funny, this child, um, his grandmother um, allowed him to roll off a changing table in the first week that I was looking after him. And so on day three, he came in with a full cast on his leg because he'd broken his leg. And so I, you know, I went from having this child who was easy to look after to this child who needed a lot of attention as well I was like oh my goodness what am I doing um so so yes yeah, so my work had actually given me time off and they said you know when you're ready to come back we'll give you a job back I mean it was I was so blessed to mm. be in that situation and then I had my second son and I was really determined that I wasn't going to be hyper vigilant about him because of what had happened with my first son and at three months old, he stopped breathing and was resuscitated a total of 11 times, twice by me at home. And it became very clear after that, that I couldn't return to work. So I eventually had to get in touch with my work and say, I, um, I now have a second child who literally nobody will look after because he keeps stopping breathing. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was, that was easier to give that up because it was it was so black and white there was you know there was no way I could leave him at home so um so I then had a few years of being at home 
I was always kind of reading and studying and kind of, you know, finding things to occupy myself. And then I started training as a counselor. So hold and on. I, yes. So at that, this point, had you realized you're not going back to medicine? Or was that always yes. still an that, option? I mean, people can take a long career break in medicine and, and go back. You have to do some retraining. So I, I knew that option was there. But I knew that I was nowhere near it. My kids and I were nowhere near ready for me to go back. And so that was when I kind of decided I needed to do some retraining and I needed to train to do something that could fit in more easily with being a mother and perhaps some work that I could do from home. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was training to be a counselor. It's a four year program in the UK. And I did the first two years. So I got I got a, a diploma in counseling and but didn't get to the next level. Um, but I, I didn't like receiving counseling. So this is like psychological, psych, yes. like a, becoming a psychologist. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And um, not 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 coaching counseling. No. Actually and, trained. Yes. Mental health. Counseling. Mental health counseling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I really liked it intellectually, but but in order to we were told in order to be a counselor, you have to receive counseling at least once a week for the rest of your career. And I hated it. <laughs> I hated receiving counseling. And I kind of realized that I couldn't, I couldn't do it as a career. So I started looking around and life coaching had just arrived in the UK. And I was one of the first people to train. There was this government scheme where they offered you the first part of the life coaching training for free. It was a new college that had been set up. And um, so I started doing, you know, I started looking into life coaching and did this training. And for me, it was a really good fit. I've got nothing against counseling. I just knew I, I couldn't do that. And for me, life coaching was about accepting where you were and focusing on making your life better going forward. So it was more, mm -hmm. you know, future focused. Mm -hmm. And that really appealed to me. And when I'd qualified, I began by running groups for parents of sick and uh, sick children and children with special needs. And Good um, fit. yeah, it was a great fit. And, uh, and I loved it. And we ran kind of group, group coaching programs with up to 10 people in it. And, um, and it was a, it was a really great fit for me. So you had yeah. mentioned that you had gone into like a real serious depression. So yes. then now, now you're, you've, you're coming out of it, right? Yes, absolutely. Now, interesting, here's an interesting thing that um, I should mention here. When I was trained to be a counselor, we had to introduce ourselves on the, it was, it was in person back then clearly. And um, so I introduced myself as the mother of two sick children and the the head you know our, our trainer at the end of that session pulled me aside and she said I want you to know how you introduced yourself she and she said I've read your resume and I'm very worried about you because I know that you were a doctor with them you know I had a master's degree by this time as well and she said 
And you introduced yourself as the mother of two sick children. Yeah, that no identity, a very confined identity. Yes. And that was kind of my depressed identity. It was my hopeless identity. It was my, like, I'm stuck with this identity. It wasn't a choice. And, and she was so right. And, and that identity was associated with hopelessness, with depression and feeling, you know, pretty, pretty dark, you know, at times. And, um, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. It was a, it was a horrible time. Let me um, ask you another question about, so your kids, their diagnoses, did they have a prognosis that they were going to get well? Because I was a, my last job as a medical social worker was with parents, it was with families with kids receiving specialty medical care. And a lot of them had cerebral palsy and like would be in wheelchairs their entire life. Yep. And so, boy, that does a whammy on, on a parent's yes. identity. So I won't go into the diagnoses because I like to keep that confidential. Private. Yeah. Um, my kids are adults now, but these were lifelong issues they were diagnosed with and so okay. it, it it did feel like you know there wasn't really a, an end in sight and okay. my kids are doing well now and and thank goodness I, I've been you know we've all been very lucky that they they are doing well in life and they have surpassed predictions of what they would become and achieve by the medical profession um and they're both physically very fit and healthy so that's that's wonderful and I'm ever grateful for that but at the time as a parent it felt it felt like a bit of a life sentence totally totally get it yeah yeah it's hard wow yeah um, and and so now that helps me also put in perspective how how it impacted letting go of your thought of going back to becoming a, you know, a, a working mom and yeah. having your kids just be out in the world the way other kids are yes. with, with these, you know, regardless of the name of the diagnoses, these are not things that you were just going to like have that kind of freedom that, that, so many people have with their children that can just go and do things the way yeah society is built for for families to be really exactly yeah yeah society's not built for families with any kind of real differences no no absolutely even yeah. though now in schools they have more you know special ed but it's still not Oh, it's, we were, were so far away from being able to give the kind of accommodations. Agreed. On yeah. so many levels. Yeah. And we were very lucky. The, the um, school system was much better when we moved to the States. So the move, the move to the States from the support perspective was, was a very positive one. I have to say, I'm very, you know, very lucky. We moved to a school district that was really supportive and mm, good. Um, in in the UK you have to fight to get any services <laughs> so yeah 
Well, the, boy, I'm telling you, the the families I worked with, they had to fight, and then they still didn't get services. Yeah, that's so it it you know different communities have very different levels of agreed services. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny. So so I was running these groups um, for parents of of sick and um, children with developmental difficulties. And then I met a friend who was a doctor and she said, why don't you go into developmental pediatrics? And mm. I kind of said to her, I didn't think I could. And she said, there is a pathway. And, uh, and, and my kids, things were settling down by this stage. And I were you, in the U you weren't in the US yet. We were still in the UK. So this was two okay. years before our move. So I had two years back in medicine before we moved to the US. And um, so I worked as a developmental pediatrician. I had to do, I had to do a year's retraining to get back into it because I was a bit rusty <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and I loved that job. I was only part-time and, um, but I, I felt very useful and it was, you know, it was a very rewarding job. Um, and then my husband said, do you fancy moving to the US? And he had always wanted to work abroad. And so I said, sure, let's give it a go. And he promised me it would be for two years. <laughs> oh. mean, we, we've been here 15, as is the story with many expats. Uh, so, so yeah, and, and when I first said yes, I thought I could work here as a doctor with having done no research at all. And it turned out that it takes four years to retrain mm -hmm. and we were only coming for two. So when, when I moved over here, it was like, well, I'm clearly not going to waste my time retraining. Um, and um, so I had to reinvent myself again, which was and, a fun reinvention that time. <laughs> right. And so let's hear um, in, in the little time we have left. So first of all, how did it feel to, because actually the United States is filled with immigrants, highly trained immigrants that are Uber drivers. And, and before that, you know, have been taxi drivers. Totally. And so how does it feel or how did it feel to come here? Well, first of all, you thought you were just coming temporarily. So that's different than yes, deciding yeah. that you're going to move here. And, and when I, you know, when we moved here, I kind of decided I would probably start my own business and I'd just do something that would keep me busy because uh, as you've probably guessed by now, I don't do well with not being busy. <laughs> and so um, I started, I trained to be a neurofeedback therapist, which is cool therapy for special needs kids. And I started coaching parents of special needs kids again. And so that was a, that was a nice transition. And, and I did have some loss of identity with the move. Like you said, there were times when I was really annoyed that like, that there's a shortage of developmental pediatricians in the, in the US as well. It's like, why, why does it have to be this hard? You know, it's like England and the US, aren't we friends? It just didn't seem to make sense. There were times I would get a bit annoyed about that, but there was nothing I could do about it. And like you say, it's very common, lawyers, doctors, you name it, the professions do not transfer over. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I think that was a little bit easier to handle. And plus with that move, I think by this time I'd done a lot of 
life coaching training and a lot of life coaching on myself. And so I kind of mourned for a while. I think there was a mourning period of that loss of identity and losing all of my friends and losing you know, all my family in the UK. There was definitely an identity loss period, but I think I kind of just got active and said, okay, let's get busy, figure out what else you can do. And just kind of threw myself into that. <laughs> Back into high achiever mode. <laughs> So, so these are the tools that you referred to um, before we even got on the call yeah. is getting busy doing things that feel like you're giving some value. You're being of. I think the personal, I think, I think one of the tools was kind of journaling and personal reflection on, you know, why the loss of identity had been so bad the pre, you know, the previous time when my kids were sick and I, I had no choice but to give up medicine I think you know I I thought about that a lot and I I understood why that was so hard whereas back then I just didn't know it was like everybody was saying to me oh aren't you lucky you know you don't have to work at the minute and I'd be like well no I'm not lucky this is really hard for me and um so I think you know I had the tools of being able to kind of reflect personally of journaling and of being able to kind of take command of my mind and say, I'm going to choose not to go there this time. I, I could easily, I'm very wired for depression and anxiety and chronic stress because I did that really well for about 15 years. <laughs> I'm really good at those things. And I, I think I, just made a decision I was not going to go there and redirected my mind of course there have been times when I've been low when I've been anxious all you know and stressed absolutely but it was definitely much less than the first incident when my boys were little well and also you weren't in the same kind of crisis no because by now your boys are doing better right Yes. Yes. And so there you could see, could you see light at the end of the tunnel as far as their health at that point? Or yeah, was it still super? Yeah, I think, the, you know, the, the risk to life had gone, which we had for a long period when they were both little. Um, so that had gone. And that's clearly horrible, you know, to wake up every morning and think your child might not be alive is it's the worst feeling. I wouldn't wish that. What? What? How? How do you manage that? And what does that feel like? Because I, I know that that's what my mom and dad had, but I was a little girl, yes. and to me, it, you know, I didn't didn't see it the same way. Mm -hmm. And and thank God, you know, I haven't had that experience. What What is it like to like not know if your child is going to make it through the day? I mean, it's you know hypervigilance all the time <laughs> I you know even even while I was asleep I'd I had horrible nightmares during that period and often it would involve you know something awful happening to somebody um and I would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night having a panic attack and I would literally you know in the morning when I would go in to see both boys I for a very long time up until they were over five I would go into the bedroom every morning and wonder if they were alive. 
long after the real threat had passed. But you, you know, when you're when you're that hypervigilant for that length of time, it's it's wired into your nervous system. Um, right. And even if the logic is there, yeah, there's other stuff automatically happening in your brain and in the in your you know worry it just it yeah. doesn't worry is not always 100% logical no exactly so yeah it was it was a rough you know a, a very rough period and i really feel for anybody who ever goes through that it's 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 traumatizing and the interesting there's some interesting research on stress a lot of the stress research has been done on veterans who've been in active war situations but there's also been quite a lot of work done on parents of children with medical issues and special needs because they're one of the groups that are shown to you know be highly prone to severe chronic stress as well mm -hmm. totally yeah and so during that time okay so then like you, you got out of the danger zone, but you were still feeling the stress and the worry. And so how did it happen that you eventually shifted that away from basically living terrified yeah. every day and, and, and every night while you're asleep? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a it was a gradual process but also with some kind of you know with, with some with some work <laughs> um and um you know i have to say when i i i trained as a coach tony robbins has a coaching school i did his coaching school training and i had a lot of breakthroughs when i was doing that and then i've done some other coaching certifications that have really helped me realize that we have more command over our mind and our emotions than we realize and you know and and you can train yourself to notice you know to to notice when you're becoming hypervigilant and i still have a tendency to do it today um but to notice it early on and to make a choice and say put the brakes on i am not going there <laughs> choosing a different path today Right. And that so that's a lot of one of the core themes of my book is to we have awareness, we, we can be more aware, we can choose to be more aware. And then we can choose what perspective we're going to take based on that awareness, which leads to different choices of what we do, which obviously leads to different outcomes. Yes, absolutely. So 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 it was through the coaching that you learned basically yeah. mindset i guess that's sort of the exactly. generic yeah and and i have to say i i remember when i kind of realized that i was causing a lot of my own suffering mm -hmm. um i remember thinking i must have missed that class in school how, how how did i miss that class like surely it it's so obvious how, how does everybody not know that I'm, i must have been off for that class and then I also went to, why did my mother not tell me? <laughs> and uh, it, it was just like, that is like, shouldn't everybody be taught that? You know, we teach math and English and all that stuff. But to know that you can control your own mind and your own emotions, like it's so fundamental. And yeah. yet still, 
many people never learn that in their whole life. No. And it's not that we can control our, our mind because we can't control what thoughts come. No. But we can control what we do with our thoughts. And that's where the awareness comes in is that you because that I I got out of like this hideous self-loathing. Yeah. Or at least, you know, not maybe I'm not totally out of it, but I'm in a lot better place than I used to be because I started to recognize these thoughts that would surface saying something horrible about myself. And then I would like actually do a reality check mm. and it's like actually you're wrong yes and and even sometimes if I have done something dumb or whatever I still don't have I still have a choice of not to beat myself up so that's that's what the awareness is is so we don't we can't control the thoughts that come in but we can control what we do with those thoughts and that's where the awareness and then the choosing choice and and perspective and and then it can just like turn me from being a person who sees the cup is half empty to being a, a person as I can see the cup is half full but before I would have said well that's denial mm. because it really is half empty but it's just <laughs> how you choose to see it and it can yeah. be it can be both yeah. it can be either or and I love that it's it's but it is so this is really um exciting to see how how through the coaching versus the counseling which you hated which you would think that in counseling they actually in in my counseling therapy i was helped with with mindset yeah. and being able to think, see things differently. i think i was unlucky with my counselor to be honest now i look back on it i think i was i, I think i was unlucky I, I had somebody who constantly made me talk about my trauma oh. and it was like you know picking the scab off a wound every session every time I mentioned anything she'd say well that was because you know your son nearly died or let's talk about she, she wouldn't make me talk about some trauma and I I would come out after the sessions feeling worse and better feeling raw and just like awful and so I and you're quite right. I think, you know, there's some amazing counselors and I've had totally different experiences since then. I think mm -hmm. I just got unlucky and didn't get a good counselor. <laughs> and, and, and I do point this out of my book that not everybody with a license after their name who has the training that you're looking for is actually going to give you what you need. Agreed. Yeah. And, and so there's so many variables that, you know, it can be personalities that just don't click, but it also can be that that person is not a very skilled practitioner. Yeah. You know, there's all kind of yeah. doctors out there. For you, I think, you know, and I, or, I what? Do, or just not a good fit for you. Cause I do right. think, you know, I do think there is a coach or a counselor for everybody, but you know, sometimes you might have to search for a while to find somebody who right and don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, that is why these professions continue because for people they are helpful. It's just that yep. you have to, yeah, there's you gotta you gotta be willing to to work at it to get the right fit. Yeah. Absolutely. But anyway, mm. we um we're coming up to the end. Is there any more of the story that that Anything else? That no, you I, I, I think um, 
it, it's interesting that I, I worked for Tony Robbins for 18 months and then had a deathbed moment where I decided that I needed to go it alone again and get back to my roots of, you know, wanting to help people with more kind of health issues broadly. And, um, and that was a very, that was a very positive transition for me that felt authentic. It felt like the right thing to do. It felt nourishing to me. And it's, you know, it's been, it's been a good move. And I love working for myself. And I love, I, I really do feel blessed. I'm one of those lucky people to do a job that I love. And um, that is a, an absolute gift. So it can be done. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you what your, what your job is and how people can, can get in touch with you. But first, I want to get a, a, a sort of snapshot identity of, you know, when you were a brand new mom and a working physician, you were sort of at the top of your game. What was your identity then? And mm -hmm. then after your second son, or was it two sons? Yeah. And then you were basically not going back to medicine. Yeah. What was your identity shot then and then now? So sort of, sort of little three snapshots. Yes. So identity was physician. <laughs> that was it. Um, and, you know, a, a warning sign there, don't have your identity is just one thing. Um, and then, like I said, it became a mom of six of two sick children. And then now, now I wear a lot of hats in my identity. Now I'm a physician turned coach trainer, speaker, author, and a health advocate. They're kind of my identity roles now, I guess. And, and I think one other thing to say, my brush with COVID death um, reinforced for me something I always knew, that life is short and precious, and we owe it to ourselves to live our best lives every day. And I always knew that, but when you face, you know, an experience like that personally, I mean, you just can't ignore it then. <laughs> Mortality so. motivation. Yes, totally. It's huge. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's other ways you can get that motivation as well. Thank goodness. Right. We don't always have to wait. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. So what is it that you do and how can people find you online? Yes. So and what and this book? I didn't, yes, I didn't yes, realize I you're an author too. Yeah. Um, so my book is actually called Beyond Soccer Mom Strategies oh. for a Fabulous Balanced Life. And it's 10 years old now. Um, and it was kind of the book that I needed when I was struggling as a, a young mother. Um, but now I work as a coach for high performing individuals, um, mainly um, executive C-suite um, and kind of mid-level managers and also entrepreneurs and some other people who are kind of in career transition, things like that. Um, I also do corporate wellness training in businesses. And um, as you know, Judy, we met through, I am embarking on a new kind of branch of my career, which is um, hoping to become more of a speaker. And um, <laughs> I think it probably comes across, I love, I love speaking, so why not? <laughs> right, um, well, yeah. and you have, 
you have your message and and people need to hear it yeah yeah so so yeah so and how can people how can people find you online yeah so um my website is is my name so dr dr leonora rhodes.com and look at the spelling in uh in the show notes yeah in the show notes and i am active on facebook instagram and linkedin and a little bit of dabbling on tiktok haven't quite figured tiktok out yet <laughs> I, I i said to a friend i feel a bit too unfunny to be on tiktok <laughs> so, um and um yeah so those are the best places to find me okay well do you have any takeaways you've already given us a lot do you have any final takeaways for people no other than you know because life is short and precious tell yourself every day you deserve to live your best life and you need to take personal responsibility for that you need to make it happen and my mission is to help people improve three things health happiness and abundance and abundance is more of whatever you want in life and i believe including health and happiness yeah yeah absolutely and you believe what um I, I believe that, you know, we have a responsibility to ourselves to seek those things. And because I think when we do it, when more good people live their best lives, I think they make a, the world a better place and they influence those around them. And it's like, it's a ripple effect. Right. And so my mission or boils down to helping people smile more at themselves. Mm. which means they're happier and when 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 an individual is happier then we treat other people better i love that totally S same same ripple thing is it's just like because it's not selfish to want to be happy it's yeah. actually it's actually our responsibility agreed because it's the grumpy people <laughs> that can really put a wrench in things yeah absolutely i quite agree I love that. Okay, thank you so much, Leonora. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure, Julie. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. 
And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.